Warm greetings to you on behalf of the congregation of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston, and in the name of Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe, but this is already the first Sunday of August. Since March, we have been worshiping online, bound together by the Holy Spirit into the living body of the living Lord, the Church of Jesus Christ. Whatever our circumstances, emotions, or thoughts this day, we have this day been brought into a new week of grace. We brought into it with breath and blood and spirit. And so now it's only right that our first thoughts on this first morning of a new week, the first movements of our hearts, the first words upon our lips, be ones of gratitude and praise to God. You may notice something new in the screen this morning. It's a pulpit fall, quilted by members of the congregation this week. Over the past months, Kathleen and Lori Kim and Susanna, along with others, have been sewing at home masks for family, friends, and neighbors. From the leftover material of these face masks of many different patterns, they have created this quilt. You may notice an image emerge at the center. It is the shape of a fish. The fish was one of the earliest symbols of Christians by which they would recognize and acknowledge each other. In Greek, the words, the, the word fish is composed of letters that can be treated as an acronym. Ichthus, Theus, Christos, Theo, Huios, Soter, or Jesus, Christ, God, Son, Savior. Lori Kim mentioned as she presented this quilt, as I was sewing all our individual strips together, I was praying for each of the people wearing the masks sewn from these fabrics. And I love how the fish takes a bit to focus onto. It plays right into the image of Jesus always being there, even in the midst of chaos. But sometimes we have to step back to see him, to focus on him. So let us, in this hour, step back from our routines and our worries, from our accomplishments and our failures, and let us focus upon the love of God revealed in Scripture and in sacrament. Let us begin in praise, in a hymn of praise. The heavens declare your glory, Lord.
We turn now to the Holy Scriptures, and this morning to the New Testament. A reading from the letter to the Galatians, a group of Christians in Anatolia, in what we now call Turkey. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul during the earliest days of the faith, and it addresses the question of whether the peoples of this world need to first adhere to the Mosaic laws of Judaism before joining the Christian community. In this excerpt, Paul asks Christians, Jewish and Gentile, to focus upon the cross of Christ and consider how that cross shapes Christian life. I invite Tran to lead us in this reading. Good morning. Let us begin in prayer. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and truth. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading from the Bible this morning is from the New Testament. The letter to Galatians, chapter 6, selected verses. My friends, if anyone is cast in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you saw the Spirit, you will rip eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the word has been crucified to me, and eyes to the word. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thanks be to God for this reading from God's holy word this morning. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found now acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We continue these weeks of summer by exploring our Christian faith, by considering the, the words of some of the hymns that um, we sing in praise of God. This morning, a hymn written by Isaac Watts. At the time of his birth, July 17, 1674, the father of Isaac Watts was in prison. He was a nonconformist, one who worshipped God outside of the established Church of England, and for that he found himself arrested. Isaac himself grew strong in body, mind, and soul. He proved himself eligible for university but chose not to go. Why? Because it would have 
necessarily involved him pledging allegiance to the Church of England, to which he objected. So he taught in a private school for four years as a tutor, and then for ten years served as a minister for an independent congregation, a large congregation in London. At the age of 35, he was stricken by an illness that left him for the rest of his life as an invalid. And for the next three and a half decades, he was taken in by a close friend and served as family chaplain. Isaac Watts wrote educational books on geography, astronomy, grammar, philosophy. These books were widely used throughout the 18th century. But Watts is known to us best now for his hymns. He wrote over 600 of them, many of which we still sing in this time and place. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And the three hymns that we sing this morning at St. Andrews. At the time of the Reformation and since, congregational singing in worship was recovered, but it was determined by the words of Scripture, significantly the Psalms. They took the Psalms from their original Hebrew, translated into English, and in the English language created new poetry, set them to music for the congregation to sing. Some were very good paraphrases. Some we continue to sing this day, the very first section of our book of praise, our psalms set to music. But many, it must be admitted, were difficult and rather dry and even dreary. When Isaac Watts was 18, he complained to his father about the singing of the psalms in their church. And the father said to the young man, well, then give us something better. And Isaac Watts did. Isaac Watts, quote, improved the psalms. That was his word. He left out certain sections that he thought were not as relevant. For example, Psalm 71, I will praise you with a psaltery. Isaac Watts wrote, most of his fellow English men and women wouldn't know what a psaltery was, so why should they be singing about it? He also added contemporary understandings in terms of science and human relationships. He rendered the Psalms, quote, as I may suppose David would have done had he lived in the days of Christianity. And we'll conclude this morning's worship with a psalm, a paraphrase of Psalm 72. It was originally a psalm of praise of Israel's anointed king. But Watts transposed it into a hymn of praise of Jesus. Jesus shall reign. Well, as if this were not radical enough, this rather free paraphrasing of the Psalms, Watts went further, and he moved congregations from singing the Psalms to singing their faith in their own words. And so, in 1707, he published Hymns and Spiritual Songs. Notice the categories. One, collected from the scriptures. Two, composed on divine subjects. Three, prepared for the Lord's Supper. When I survey the wondrous cross, 
It's not based on a psalm, and it's only very loosely based on a New Testament text that, in fact, Tran read for us this morning from Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. As for me, I will boast only about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For by means of his cross, the world is dead to me, and I am dead to the world. In the first words of the first verse, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, Watts invites us to survey the cross with him. Survey it, not glance at it, but look at it long and hard. Contemplate it. For Christians like himself, who may have been raised in a Christian home and sought to follow Christ all their days, who've experienced no sudden conversion, but have enjoyed assurance and comfort all their days, it's only natural to become perhaps accustomed to the cross. And Watts, with these words, challenges himself and us to look upon the cross and consider it anew, time and time again. You can look at the cross and you can see it not at all. Or you can see just two planks of wood. Or you could see the cross and acknowledge only tragedy. Watts asks us, after all that, to look again. To look again and see some piercing and profound truths about ourselves and about God. The American Presbyterian minister and author Frederick Beekner, in his book, Wishful Thinking, a Theological ABC, has, has a page on the subject, the theme of the cross, and he says this, Two of the noblest pillars of the ancient world, Roman law and Jewish piety, together supported the necessity of putting Jesus Christ to death in a manner that even for its day was particularly loathsome. Thus the cross stands for the tragic folly of humanity, not only at our worst, but also at our best. What Watts witnesses at the cross is very close to what was witnessed by Paul, the Apostle Paul. They witnessed the grace of God in opening up a way of healing and hope for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who at great personal cost did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What we could not do or ever do for ourselves, even at our best. My richest gain I count but loss, I pour contempt on all my pride. In the third verse, we will hear Watts describe what he finds so moving when he surveys the cross, but in this second verse, he describes the cross as the one thing, the only thing that he finds has ultimate value in life. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All else is secondary, and he cannot let anything else come between himself and his God. At the cross, he sorts out his priorities and his purpose. 
Who knows if Watts was referring to anything in particular at this point when he continues speaking about sacrificing the vain things that charm me most. What impressed me when I look back over his life was when he turned down that university education that was offered to him by the, the town village um, doctor and lawyer. He turned it down with its certain promise of wealth and position in society and became instead a humble tutor and a lowly minister. After these sacrifices made, I guess we can all affirm that God did use Watts in ways wondrous, as wondrous as the cross of Christ itself. And then Watts invites us to look again at the cross and invites us now in this verse not to survey it, but to see it. And see what? See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Can you imagine a phrase more moving? There is a scene in the Gospel according to John when a soldier, to prove that Jesus has actually finally died, we're told, pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Well, Watts conjures up that scene, and between the beating of his heart and his mind's eye, he sees not water and blood, but sorrow and love flow mingle down. Sorrow. With sorrow, God saw God's creation being undone, returning to chaos. With sorrow, God feels God's people wandering after other lovers. With sorrow, God witnesses sin overwhelming goodness and truth and beauty. But it's not a sorrow that God can bury, deep within God's own being. It's a sorrow that drove God out and into this creation, into the midst of God's humanity. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God has shown God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sorrow and love. It was our need, our hopelessness and our helplessness that brought Jesus to the cross. But it was God's love for us that raised and kept Jesus upon that cross. Surveying the cross, seeing the love of God for us embodied so fully, acknowledging this gift of life abundant and eternal in Jesus, all we can do is respond with gratitude and with dedication. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. As ever, the only appropriate response to love is to love in return. This is a hymn of thankful response and complete commitment to turn to the Holy One as did Jesus, 
to focus upon what is faithful rather than what is expedient or successful, to embrace the neglected and give of ourselves for others, to live with joy and with sacrifice, to be Christian in the way of Jesus Christ. Beatrice and I are looking forward to being with our kids, quote, quote, this week. Well, I remember when Gabrielle was a child. Now she is a child of her own. But when she was a child, she and I were on our way to the park at the end of the street. And she looked up and asked me, why are some fathers taller than you? Well, what could I say? But God made us each different and special. To which then Gabrielle replied, well, why did God make us? I guess now my answer would be, God made us surely so God could love us and be loved in return by us. This is the message of Isaac Watts in his hymns and of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that follows, the message of the wondrous cross. This hymn that Isaac Watts wrote in preparation for the congregation celebrating the Lord's Supper. Let us join with generations before us now in singing our faith.
And so we come to this time of Holy Communion. Let us begin by professing our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so to all who truly and earnestly repent of their sin and are in love and charity with their neighbors, to all who intend to lead a Christian life, following the commandments of God and walking in God's holy way, I say now, come. Draw near with reverence, with faith, and with thanksgiving, and take this supper of our Lord to your comfort. Come to this holy table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love the Lord a little and yearn to love him more. Come not because you are strong, not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in frailty and in sin you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but come to seek and find a presence. This supper of our Lord is now spread before us, and I say, come. Lift up your minds and your hearts above all selfish fears and cares, and let this bread and this cup be unto you the outward and visible symbols of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let us continue with the great prayer of thanksgiving. Let us pray. Lord our God, we lift up to you our hearts in glad thanksgiving. We join our voices with your people of every generation and nation. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. We thank you, Lord God, that you hold this world in your hands from beginning to end that you know each of us by name. It's you that's created us and called us into this life. It's you that's given us breath and blood, thoughts of mind and passions of heart, all that we might be made one with you and become your people here on earth. In many and various ways you spoke to our parents of old, by prophets, priests, and kings, but in these last days, you've spoken to us by a son, and he now is our only prophet, priest, and king. Now we give you thanks for the living remembrance set before us of how in him our flesh was assumed and broken, 
but also raised, transfigured, and healed. And here we proclaim with all your people, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And so now we pray, O God, for Holy Spirit, that the bread which we break may be our communion in the body of Christ, that the cup we now bless and share may be our communion in the blood of Christ. We pray for Holy Spirit, not only upon this bread and this cup, but upon ourselves, that we might become your people, that the risen Lord might live in us and that we might live in him. That here at this table, we might be reconciled to you and to each other. That here barriers may be broken down between earth and heaven, young and old, woman and man, wealthy and poor. And we pray for Holy Spirit, O God, no only upon us, but upon all. We pray that this earth so dear to us might be given a new face, that swords that even now are raised might be beaten into plows and wars be abandoned. That gardens be planted and old wastelands renewed. That our broken world might be rebuilt by hands like ours under the roof of Christ. We pray that your kingdom come. Holy God, we lift up these prayers by the movement of your Holy Spirit and by the work of our mediator, Jesus the Christ. And we continue now in the words he taught us together to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And so we remember. We remember how on the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he died for us, our Lord took bread. And after giving thanks to his Father above, he broke it. And he passed it to his disciples and he said, Take this and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we remember how at the conclusion of that meal he took the cup. And again, he gave thanks to his Father above. And again, he passed it to his friends. And he said, take this and drink of this, all of you, for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as oft as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till he come again. The gifts of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. The bread of heaven. and the cup of salvation. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this holy time. This time made holy by your presence and by your promises. It's you that has served us, not only at this supper of our Lord, but with grace and mercy with life now and life eternal. And long have you sought us, long have you waited for us, mercifully have you redeemed us. And now here we are, Lord. We present ourselves to you, your people. Lord, we pray now only, may our eyes be fixed upon Jesus Christ. May we more and more take up the Christian way in this world, in care of neighbor and to your glory. Jesus does reign. Jesus shall reign. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen.